uh, we will convene the meeting of the Audit and Compliance Committee. Uh, first up is uh, public comment. Well, roll call. Sorry, please. Thank you. Um, Trustee Bouquet uh, is going to be late today. Trustee Blue is excused. Trustee Chapman will be late. Trustee Friedman. Present. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do not have a quorum. Okay. Thank you. Uh, public comment. Do we have any public commenters? I do not have any public comment. Okay, moving right along, we're going to item B, the 2022 annual financial audit plan. That's uh, John Fennis and Brian Connor from Moss Adams. Hi, Mark, this is John. Hi, John, welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I brought with me uh, actually Chris Pritchard today. He is the, uh, our industry group leader for healthcare. Uh, Brian is currently on partner sabbatical through the uh, middle of next week. And so uh, um, Chris is an active member of our uh, hospital practice and has uh, a lot of experience with uh, public hospitals and uh, GASB reporters. So uh, I thought he would be an appropriate uh, partner to bring along and uh, uh, from that perspective. Great. I'm going to go ahead and put the presentation on screen. Can everyone see it? Yep. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and kick it off. Great, thanks, John. Uh, why don't we go ahead and move to the, excellent. Well, thank you all for having me. Um, I've been, uh, I work with a number of your uh, uh, partnering organizations like the Alameda Health Plan and, and so forth here in the Bay Area. I've been in healthcare for the last 30 years here in the Bay Area. So I know your organization very well. Happy to step in and uh, support Brian Connor here. Uh, we're going to cover your service team uh, for the audit this year, uh, scope of services, talk a little bit about our auditor's responsibility under the financial statement audit, uh, significant risk identified that could lead to material misstatements and how we're going to audit for those, uh, tasks related to your single audit, and of course, our audit timeline and deliverables today. Next slide. So your service team has remained consistent, which I think in today's um, uh, great resignation is a testament to our ability to continue to have the same team and, and not lose the uh, experience we've gained with the organization over the past two years. So we're really proud to be able to provide the same team uh, here again this year. Next slide. Our scope of services, uh, as you are aware, are for us to audit your annual consolidated financial statements for the year ended June 30, 2022, and the related single audit. Uh, we'll assist management in drafting those financial statement footnotes. Uh, we'll assist management in the OMB uh, auditee collection form section, as well as prepare the state and federal tax returns. We're able to do these and remain uh, independent under our standards, and these are common items that uh, CPA firms help their organizations with. Next slide. Our responsibility under the engagement is to form and express an opinion on whether or not the financial statements that are prepared by your management are free of material misstatements. Uh, we do that by performing audit procedures in accordance with generally accepted uh, accounting standards, as well as audit procedures, uh, both governmental and uh, AICPA audit standards, along with your state and controller minimum audit requirements. We take all three of those into consideration in designing our audit 
And once we are complete with our audit, we will come back, give you an opinion on the, whether or not the financial statements, in our opinion, are free of material misstatements. We'll also communicate significant uh, matters that may have come along during co the completion of our audit uh, in writing and uh, verbally during our uh, year-end uh, conclusive uh, presentation for the audit. What I'll do now is I'll turn it over to John to talk a little bit more about some of the risk areas and the rest of the presentation. All right, great, thank you so much. So I've got a couple of slides of risk areas here. Um, these risk areas don't represent anything that is inconsistent with risks identified in prior years. I wanna start off by saying that. And so um, the first of these risk areas that we, uh, we have identified as a result of uh, our, our understanding of the organization relates to the valuation of accounts receivable. Um, accounts receivable is a significant um, area. It involves a lot of management judgment. Um, there is um, an estimate obviously involved in valuing accounts receivable because it does take a significant amount of time in many cases for um, bills and invoices sent out to payers and your patients to be realized and converted into cash. So uh, our audit procedures here are focused on first uh, making sure we have a good understanding of management's valuation allowance um, methodologies. Has there been any changes in those um, methodologies during the year? Um, then we move on to a review of uh, the collections on the prior year estimate. And so basically we're liquidating prior year. And so the, the thought here is that if uh, management has done a good job in the prior year of estimating and they have not made material changes to that methodology and they've substantially collected all the prior year accounts receivable, that that gives us good evidence that management's able to um, properly estimate accounts receivable for the current year. In addition, we look at uh, collections made subsequent to the current year end, June 30, 2022, and evaluate those in comparison to the same time period from the prior year. We do focus on management override of controls, where we're evaluating the uh, the ability for management to produce the financial statements. We're looking at uh, risk-based journal entry testing, as well as reconciling uh, management's trial balances to the financial statements, um, looking for top-sided entries and inconsistencies with the, uh, the financial statements and the uh, underlying uh, accounts. Revenue recognition is an area of focus for us as well. In conjunction with the procedures that we perform, on accounts receivable valuation. We also perform uh, specific focused areas on revenue reversal, analytical procedures to evaluate proper cutoff. Lastly, I wanted to call your attention to internal controls over compliance with federal laws, regulations, and major programs. This is specifically related to the uh, Alameda Health System's participation in federal grants. There are uh, several federal grants and uh, awards that the health system participates in. And so part of those procedures not only focus on, did you earn the revenue, but also are you in compliance with those federal programs, which we perform um, through various procedures related to inquiry with those directly related to financial reporting, as well as inquiry with those that are managing the different grants and uh, performing certain tests and procedures. Are there any questions about the risks that I've talked about here? Okay, I'll move forward then. This next slide, uh, the single audit requirement specifically related to CARES Act funding, so the provider relief funds. 
Um, we are aware that the health system, um, through our discussions with management, has received since April of 2020 um, through March of 22, roughly $48.3 million in funding from the CARES Act through the Provider Relief Fund. Looking back into fiscal year 2020 and fiscal year 21, the health system has recognized $44.8 million of the $48.3 million and that they're intending on recognizing the remaining 3.5 million in fiscal year 22. When you take a step back and look at the requirements under the uniform guidance requiring a single audit of these funds, the health system has exceeded these requirements. That requirement threshold is set at $750,000. And so management is aware that these funds will be subject to single audit. The first period that will be subject to single audit is the fiscal year ended June 30, 2021. Yes, that is last year. The single audit for fiscal year 2021 has not been completed. The required completion date for that audit is September 30, 2022. Management and I uh, and, and the audit team are working, in, um, working now on getting that audit completed. The reason why it was not completed at the time that we performed the 2021 financial statement audit, which is usually the case, it was not completed because the, um, the federal government, in this case, the US Department of Health and Human Services, had not finished setting the rules for the audits of the provider relief fund. Those rules were finalized um, at the end of 2021. However, there was some concern and some requests for additional um, evaluation by um, HHS to evaluate the special testing provisions that were included in that guidance, that compliance supplement. As a result, the uh, OMB with HHS, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, issued an amendment that they published in the Federal Register on April 8th, removing that special testing provision. And so now that that special testing provision has been removed, we're beginning procedures to complete the fiscal year 21 single audit, as well as starting to plan for the fiscal year 22 financial statement audit and the fiscal year 22 single audit. So a lot to think about and unpack in what I just said. Any questions? I just realized that I am not on screen. Okay, no questions, I'm moving on then. All right, so what I'd like to do now is to gather input from the audit committee members in regards to any concerns that you have that we haven't discussed as it relates to audit risk for the health system for fiscal year 22. It could be related to the health system's objectives, strategies, business risks, concerns with internal control. Are there any concerns or risk areas that we haven't covered that the audit committee members would like us to focus on or we could discuss here? May I, Mark? Please go ahead, Splen. Well, so this, and, I, and I'm not gonna take credit for this. It's just that I, I was in, in Houston and um, one of my ex-employees happens to be um, one of the lawyers for the Houston public school system. And she, we were having dinner and she told me about what happened 
which led to the uh, indictment of <laughs> some executives. And that had to do with, um, in essence, internal control, but also fraud uh, with uh, having equipment, uh, in essence, double billed or having services double billed. And um, obviously there was collusion between the uh, folks employed by, employed by the uh, school system and the outside contractor. And um, one of the examples was that, you know, they have obviously athletic fields, right? And they're mowed. And, you know, they were getting bills for say mowing them twice a week when all they did was really mow them once a week, things like that. Um, and I know it's a very broad question, but I just, it was such a, a such a scandal in Houston that I thought, well, you know, let me ask the question because I knew this meeting was coming up. How do we how do we protect for that? Maybe it's an answer for Kim to question for Kim too. Let's let Kim answer first. Or Anne. Well, we we have internal controls in place, which. Uh, segregation of duties is key uh, to to making sure that uh, you know, no one person can pull off something like that. I suppose there is always you know risk. Um, I think we've got some uh, some decent internal controls in place. I, I do think we have a weakness in documenting our policies and procedures. That's something we're working on. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, I just, like I said, I just wanted to raise it. That It wasn't really, it didn't really require a response. I just, like I said, I'd pass along that I thought, you know, that, that that's the sort of thing that I'd love to hear more about. Not not today, Kim, but like I said, that's just something I would love to hear more about. So yes, you answered it. Okay. Maybe Moss Adams can add to it or maybe John can or. I'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, in, as part of our audit procedures, we're required to obtain an understanding of management controls over processes and procedures like the one that you referenced and the one that, that Kimberly was talking about. And so uh, during that, we'll walk through, we'll have discussions with management, we'll discuss what those procedures are, and then we'll seek evidence to document whether or not those controls were actually effective um, during the, the year that we're reporting on. And in certain cases, especially related to revenue, um, we're gonna do some additional testing controls and decide whether or not we can place reliance on those controls. Well, thank you very much. And I apologize, I need to jump on another call, but I'll be back. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you later, Splend. Thank you. Keep Are there any questions or thoughts? All right, I'll continue then. Thank you so much. Uh, Kim has her hand up, is that? Uh, yeah, I, I did. It was going back to the single audit. I didn't know if uh, this committee understood that um, part of what the audit will do is it will look at whether we've demonstrated need for those relief funds. And, you know, depending upon, you know, all of these formulas and it's evolving and changing all the time, whether we would need to actually pay some of the funding that we got back. And I didn't know if the committee actually picked up on that nuance as part of the audit. And I don't know if John, if you have some more, um, you know, if you want to elaborate on that. Let me uh, let the committee respond if they'd like first before I comment. Okay. Um, so 
as is Kim stated, you know, the, the purpose of the provider relief fund is to um, provide health systems resources to maintain healthcare delivery in your area and, and to provide resources. We will be auditing management's reporting on or to, excuse me, HRSA or the Department of Health and Human Services. The fiscal year 21 report was submitted for the period ended June 30, 2021. The fiscal year 22 will be for two reporting periods. The first period ending December 31, 21 and June 30, 22. And the, the purpose of the audit is to evaluate if management has met the, the, the criteria that, that HHS has laid out in response to uh, the, the CARES Act. And so we'll be evaluating and testing management's use of expenses, management's classification of lost revenue, reconciling those back to the financial accounting records, and then um, evaluating the calculations to determine if, if management has uh, reasonably met the, uh, the criteria laid out by HHS. Thank Kimberly, you. anything else you'd like me to add on that? that? That was great. I really appreciate that. I wanted to make sure everybody understood that this is kind of still out there. <laughs> this is the first time that, that these funds are being audited uh, across the nation. Right. Th thanks for calling that out, Kim. I want to uh, welcome Trustee Chapman, who joined us. So I think for a minute or two, we did have a quorum and when Trustee Bouquet arrives, we'll have a quorum again, at least for a little bit. So uh, please continue. Will do, thank you. All right, skipping forward then. So we've talked a little bit about fraud um, and this is a just a kind of a summary slide on our consideration of fraud in the financial statement. So as I mentioned, there's procedures to address the risk of fraud. We have engagement team discussions. Um, we do perform procedures to specifically identify risks um, some of those procedures that we actually discussed so far have been uh, centered around obtaining an understanding and evaluating the effectiveness of some of the controls that management has put in place surrounding segregation of duty, at least as we've discussed here in the, uh, the audit or in, the, in this discussion. But as, as noted, you know, there is an unavoidable risk that there may be some material misstatements that may not be detected because of collusion or other matters. And so it's important that this body understands um, that there are risks in the financial statements and it's management's responsibility to put in place controls to mitigate those risks. All right, timeline. So we're here on the second bullet there. It's June 15th, 2022, having our discussion here with you um, in planning for the 2022 audit. The week of June 27th, we're scheduled to focus on updating our understanding of those controls that management has in place and also uh, testing the implementation of internal controls um, as we've discussed. The week of August 15th, we will be starting our uh, supplemental revenue stream procedures and also working on single audit procedures for 22. We're, all, we're currently working on, as I mentioned, the single audit procedures for 21. Management has given us quite a bit of support and we're working on our way through uh, the planning for the, the 2021 portion of the single audit related to the provider relief fund. 
Final field work for the health system starts the week of September 19th and goes for four weeks. We plan on reviewing the draft consolidated financial statements with management at the end of October and so that they can deliver the final draft to you in advance of the November 8th um, audit committee meeting. And then we'll be finalizing audit reports thereafter. Any questions about timeline? Want to make sure the committee is aware that the board meeting for the board of trustees would be November 9th. So we've got to kind of have a tight schedule because the uh, uh, board does not meet in December. So we want to get the financial statements approved uh, November 9th. Good point. Thank you. Um, I think this is very clear plan and presentation, and thank you very much, uh, Trustee Chapman. Any questions? Hi, good evening, everyone. Sorry I was late. I was trying to rush home from our office to get hey, you on are our the call. only one who was late. I resemble <laughs> that remark. <laughs> so I apologize for that. No, I don't have any questions. The timeline. Um, looks great. And thank you, Kimberly, for saying that, you know, reminding us that we have our board meeting on the 9th. So that kind of helps us plan ahead. But I have no additional questions. Thanks, okay. Trustee Freeman. You're welcome. So uh, we can't take action now because we don't have a quorum. But when we have a quorum, uh, you just need a simple approval of the plan as stated. Is that correct? Kimberly? Um. I, I would think yes. I don't know. Is uh, Akimi on or? Yes, I'm here. Trustee Friedman, I, you know, I'm looking at the uh, bylaws and at the charter. I don't believe this requires an action. You know, okay. On the part of your board. Well, it says potential action on the agenda, but I guess we're fine without it. Um, we can so. Uh, and uh, you will ultimately have to approve it, obviously. So yeah. Time and space for you all just to get your feedback. Okay, thank you. Um, thanks for that presentation. And now we're going to move on to a discussion of the Audit and Compliance Committee Charter Review. All right. I hope that uh, Trustee Chapman had a chance to take a look at this. I know I did, and. I found it to be extremely comprehensive and I was trying to think of something that was missing and I couldn't. So um, any questions or comments from uh, Trustee Chapman or from staff? No, I, I thought it was pretty thorough. It was my first time really reviewing the, you know, the entire packet. And so um, I was a little overwhelmed, but I did understand <laughs> what what was being presented thank you yeah auditing language is a, a whole special vernacular that uh it takes a while to get in in the uh in sync with it um okay i think that's about it uh, i don't have any suggested changes i don't think trustee chapman does if uh staff is fine we'll move on to discussion of cybersecurity. All right, take it away, Ali, Chief Information Security Officer. 
I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. Oh, Mark, are you going to take uh, this? Yeah, Mark, um, I think Ahmad and I will be uh, covering uh, this uh, today. Uh, uh, JAWS, our uh, CISO, is unable. And unfortunately, uh, Christine, our CTO, are unable to make it. But uh, we're both up to speed. So I'll, uh, well, we're lucky I'll, to I'm have selling you in for them. Mark. So take it away, Mark and Ahmad. Mark, sorry, this is not the closed session item, Mark. Gotcha. Okay. General uh, update uh, by security. Okay. Well, then I apologize, uh, Ahmad. I am not prepared uh, on uh, any comments from Ajaz on that. So, Mark, uh, can we? Uh, I do not believe that we have anything pressing for the general update today. Can uh, we uh, defer until next meeting on that? Yeah, yeah, sure we can. And I read the report and uh, I think it's pretty understandable even for non-techie people. So uh, uh, thank you very much, Mark. And we will move on. We're clipping right through here. Uh, we're Thanks, Mark. On, on to E, discussion, potential action, approval of the fiscal year 23 annual audit and compliance plan. Akimi Ren, interim VP of compliance and internal audit. Take it away, please. Let me share my screen. So can everybody see it? It's a little small type, but yes, it's it's uh, easy to see, just not easy to read. <laughs> um, well, there's quite a bit on it, so I apologize for that. Um, uh, so, um, for this um, draft of this um, this audit plan for fiscal year 2023, uh, uh, we did an assessment of three areas. One is to review um, the Office of the Inspector General's work plan. And so they list hundreds of areas that they're going to review. So our focus was to uh, review the billing areas um, that would apply to AHS. And so um, with that, we um, looked at, um, was there a review done prior? And then uh, what is the volume of services that we provide in those areas? <clears throat> and that's what determined uh, how they um, were on this uh, plan. The, um, does anybody have questions about the Office of Inspector General's work plan? Not me. Okay, so the next area that we, um, we looked at is that we wanted to uh, receive feedback from the executive um, leadership team. So we um, gave a survey to ask what they um, identified as a potential risk. And so the, um, even though they would give uh, feedback, we did follow up to understand uh, what that um, risk really is and, um, and also uh, what their expectations for this reviews. Um, and then, as it shows, it's listed as far as that source. So it will indicate like uh, Kim Miranda and Tangerine um, and 
and uh, Mark Amy. Um, that's uh, actually a word discussion um, because it's somewhat complicated. And then Lorna uh, Jones and uh, Mario Harding because they actually indicated the same areas that they wanted to review. Um, and that had to do with um, a manager's uh, uh, changing a, um, an employee's a time card manually. So we are um, actually it's on that um, on a work plan, but being that we are um, moving from Kronos to um, UKG dimensions, it's down further in the year. <clears throat> the last um, part that we um, reviewed was um, just internally within the compliance um, team. And we uh, reviewed whether there were audits done prior. And if the findings indicated that um, it's, uh, there were several findings that should uh, warrant and put on this year, or we did not um, ever do um, a review prior. And that is partly based on um, the work that we've done uh, with other stakeholders and what they uh, communicated to us as far as areas that they uh, would like us to review. Is there any questions? No, I think it's well laid out and organized. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Trustee Chapman, any questions? Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, no, no questions. Thank you, Trustee Freeman. You're welcome. So um, because we don't have a quorum, I don't think we can approve it. Uh, That's right. We can't. So um, let's let me go to to move this. Just in terms of a quorum, I would just want to let everybody know I have a very hard stop at 5.30. I have to be uh, running my Eden Health District uh, monthly board meeting at 5.30. So that gives us about 45 minutes. And uh, I think we should be able to get through. That's just a question if there'll be a window where there's three of us to take action on anything. So please continue. All right. So I just wanted to bring this up because we are doing a professional fee um, audits and education, and this is system-wide. And I just wanted to just show this because um, part of it is to um, do reviews and then um, based on the findings, the trends, we would educate our, um, our providers, physicians and um, non-physician practitioners. And then we want to measure it. So we want to measure that the education was effective. And part of that is to do a, um, another review, which is um, to determine the accuracy rate, um, that the documentation supported the codes that were built. And then we can give that um, 
that summary to the physicians and what areas as far as education, because we want um, our uh, providers to reach a 95% accuracy rate. And that comes from the um, OIG that recommends that an organization should have a 5% error rate. So the next. So in the review, I just wanted to just stop here for a second <clears throat> that we have um, QHC rates, which is the federally qualified health um, centers. And so in our outpatient um, areas, uh, here you see the different amounts. So this is per visit. Um, so whenever a patient comes to, for example, Highland, um, doesn't matter how many um, different services that are provided, we get flat rate. And so this is um, to give this information. This uh, rate is um, 2021, because at the time we did not have the 2022 um, uh, rates for these different areas. Does anybody have questions about this? So, so actually, I, I do have a question. Okay. Um, sure. Has there been a big change from the 2021 rate to, to, to date? Um, I would not, um, no, I would not state that. Okay. It's um, our different rates are based on the volume of I see. Um, encounters. So okay. there might be some fluctuations, but I do not believe so. Yeah, so for the FQ for Medi-Cal, patients, the rates that, that Akina just showed, there's a small CPI that happens each year and that's it. The rates are set until you do another rate setting, which you have to have a qualifying event to trigger that rate setting. So okay. it's just a small CPI that, that um, happens each year. Thank you. So in our um, reviews for um, uh, for this um, committee um, session in June, we did a review of internal medicine and pediatrics. So we did review both outpatient and inpatient uh, services. And so this um, here is the findings. Now in outpatient, there's a new versus established. And so what we found is that um, the providers had, um, I guess, an, a misunderstanding of when it's considered um, established versus new. And I'll go over that in another slide. And then for both inpatient and outpatient, um, there was differences in the level of um, evaluation management that was selected because in evaluation management, there are five levels. And so that's based on the medical decision-making. And there are three components of that. And it's the number of diagnoses, uh, chronic um, disease that the patient might have, and the other is data. So the data is like um, diagnostic tests that would be ordered, um, the results that would be reviewed. And then the other is risks, and that's the um, complications of the uh, management of the patient. Um, and then the last is the teaching physician attestation. So this is in both outpatient and inpatient. And the um, 
the physician didn't always uh, indicate the attestation. And there is a smart um, phrase that can be used, but in some instances, they just um, signed it. And it requires a little bit more information that they actually uh, reviewed the um, residents' findings and they agree or they um, indicate um, what um, would be revised. <clears throat> so I wanted to show you, I, as I mentioned, the new versus established. So this is a screenshot of one of the visits um, that's in EPIC. And so the um, criteria is that a clinician uh, um, saw a patient, uh, it would be um, in the same specialty or subspecialty in the past three years. So what that means, like if, um, if a uh, pediatrician saw the, um, the patient, but then you had a um, maybe an, uh, a neurologist see the patient, then that's two different specialties. And each one, um, it would determine, um, for example, it was the first time that the um, neurologist saw it, uh, saw the patient, then it will be new. Um, but if um, the, the criteria is that it needs to be within the past three years. So in this scenario here, you, you see it says Eastmont, and it indicates the follow-up, and that's what was built out. Now, here though, it's a chief complaint was to establish care. So there is a miss as far as new versus established. Do you have any questions about that? Okay, so um, I just wanted to show um, based on the audits as far as the accuracy rates and here we have the evaluation management codes. And actually, I think that generally it's, it's pretty good, especially since there has not been previous reviews done before. And then the CPD codes here is um, procedures that were um, done. And uh, here we can um, actually um, do some education to um, help with these um, accuracy rates. And then you... Um, see the diagnosis codes. Now, we just want to point out that there are uh, many, many diagnosed codes. And so it, um, I wouldn't expect a physician to know all of them, but it's an education based on the types of patients they may see. Um, for example, if a patient had um, diabetes type two, for example, and they indicate that that's the diagnosis. But in the note itself, it says, well, the person has um, chronic uh, uh, renal disease or kidney disease, and that will change the diagnosis code. So that's an education. Does anybody have any questions about um, these rates? So for the inpatient internal medicine, um, as it shows here, I think that, you know, again, um, the evaluation management um, is pretty good, of course, you know, when it comes here, 
uh, Highland, um, that's where we need to provide more education. And then again, when we talk about diagnosis codes, that's another area where education, and I wouldn't expect physicians to know all the different types of um, diagnosis codes, but we can help them to, um, to at least pin down some of the more common uh, diagnoses that they would use. Is there any questions about these um, accuracy rates? One, I think. Um, you, you talked about the FQs. Are the FQs rolled up in here under internal? Yeah, um, for the outpatients, yes. And so really this has to do with documentation. When we, do, when we even though um, when it comes to outpatients, we want to uh, review the quality of the documentation that's supporting the service. So even though there are different codes, again, you know, um, FQAC is a flat rate and there is one kind of code that's used. Um, <clears throat> but for inpatient, it is not. So it's um, fee for service, unless it's uh, depending on the payer, let's put it that way. So is there a, a accuracy rate on the FQs because you are still supposed to not? Um, if, <laughs> I think it's important, but it's not um, because it, it gives us um, kind of a, a benchmark as to what we can help as far as um, the clinical documentation that supports the service. And it, it is still a guide for um, providers as to um, the codes, especially when it comes to diagnose codes, because that is used um, uh, in different reporting, quality reportings and such, because, you know, if you see, you know, that those uh, kind of uh, races to, there's more, um, uh, you know, people in a certain age group that has, um, uh, let's say, um, cardiology um, conditions and so on. So that's where the diagnosis codes come in. So even though FQHC has a flat rate, there's these um, different codes still um, have some impact on what is being reported. Any more questions? Okay. So, uh, like I mentioned, we also uh, did a review with pediatrics. And so it was both for um, inpatient and outpatient. And in both the, um, the inpatient and outpatient, it was again, the um, level selection for evaluation management. And I would say that all, even the other organization, um, this is, uh, an area that um, physicians uh, keep asking about because it's somewhat complicated if you ever looked at the uh, CMS guidelines. And so each specialty is a little bit different. And so it comes down to, well, what is the areas of risk and um, how is that determined? So they, that's why um, level of selection, um, it tends to be 
what kind of the area that um, education can be um, given. So for outpatient two, there were screening tests, and I'm going to go over that a little bit. And then for inpatient, it has to do with discharge service. So um, one of the things that we found in the outpatient is when there was a significant uh, medical issue that was done during the wellness check. And so just the general rule is that when that occurs, you can also, um, it will support in an um, evaluation management service. And, um, and I put here a time component because in 2021, uh, there were changes into that you can use time as a guide, but still the documentation needs to support um, the time that uh, was reported. So I want to just show this because preventive services <clears throat> during a wellness check um, can be um, actions um, reported separately as well. So in this um, note, it indicates that, um, that there was fluoride on varnish application. So that can be reported in addition to the wellness check. So um, I have questions because I'm going through this and I just want to make sure. So for inpatient here, actually for the blended, it's, it's fairly good. Um, so that's a plus. Um, the blended accuracy rate was 86. Then when we talked about outpatient, um, I want to say it's, it's fairly good too. So pediatrics is actually doing um, pretty well as far as the accuracy rate. Um, the one area that I do want to point out is that uh, being that inpatient is fee for service, one, um, there were a couple of times that um, time was not listed for hospital discharge because hospital discharge is a time-driven um, service. And so I just, if you see this, um, the top one here, hospital discharge greater than 30 minutes. Okay, so this is a base rate of $53.40. And this is um, using the um, Medi-Cal um, base rates. But if time is not indicated, then you have to go to the um, lower um, service code, which is less than 30 minutes. So you can see the base right here is $37.60. So this does have an impact on the revenue. And so this is also, um, like I mentioned, an education um, for uh, physicians. Uh, is anybody have questions about, about um, this? Uh, we're moving along pretty quick. And so right now, um, the active um, projects that we were working on, um, we're working on the uh, second phase of the information blocking. And then I, I think I mentioned this before, but there's a leadership academy. And so compliance um, does a, um, 
a presentation to our uh, management uh, leaders and it includes privacy as well. And we, uh, we also um, included um, about how to kind of um, be able to assess whether um, you might have a phishing um, incident, which is a cyber um, security uh, potential, um, what's it, uh, breach. And so usually with phishing um, cases, it could be that they, um, the, the potential actor is looking for um, like uh, accounts, passwords. It can also be um, patients um, and PHI, um, protect the health information. And then we also um, completed the HERSHA um, the 340B audit, and we're just waiting for the response from HERSHA as to any follow-up um, that uh, we may, may have to um, complete. Is there any questions regarding the current projects? No. So I wanted to just show this, and I, I did show this last time, and it gives you a picture of where um, our work we provide to, um, to our department units, to AHS. And so <clears throat> it says here the audit is 29%. And yes, we spend a, lot, a great deal of time um, doing, uh, conducting different reviews. And then um, service is uh, 27%. And so we do um, receive uh, requests and requests could be for us to provide guidance based, based on some um, uh, rules and it could be um, conflict of interest, um, any billing rules. And so sometimes because there are, um, you know, healthcare, there are so many different rules. We also um, have to do research to, to ensure that we're using the current um, guidelines. And then of course, we spend a lot of time meeting in groups to um, just strategize and to work on how to, um, to improve uh, procedures or systems. And then the other area, 26%, is the, generally what we do, um, normal um, activities within our compliance. And for example, like it indicates here, investigations, um, that's a big part of what we do. Um, also um, privacy and uh, here revenue cycle, because we do partner uh, quite, uh, quite frequently with the revenue cycle team and the um, IRB, which is the Institutional Review Board. And so if you see on the left side, um, we spend, you know, um, as a whole 91% of our time um, is to um, the VHS. Does anybody have questions about this? Uh, I just want to say, I think it's a very useful and uh, well-presented chart. And I'm glad you brought it back because it's a great snapshot. Thank you. Okay, and the last um, here is that um, 
this is um, a report um, based on what we received as potential concerns. And so being that we're um, still not finished with the end of the fiscal year, um, this is the third quarter. And if you see the pie here, um, a big portion, 53% are HR related um, issues or allegations that we received. And we are working to um, reduce this number and that is um, meeting on a regular basis with the um, HR teams, the labor relations. Uh, we used to do that prior um, just to understand what the status is, what's the next steps. And that really did help to bring down um, this number. And I, I do understand there's been some um, changes in structure and that, um, that may have had an effect on this, uh, the amount being 53%. Now the other large area is privacy. So we have 37% and um, we received concerns um, about uh, potential allegations and of um, HIPAA violations. And we do assess whether that's a true um, allegation. And so <clears throat> as we do the assessment, we will determine whether that is um, really a true violation. And, and actually, in many instances, it's not. Um, so that is a plus. Um, I do want to indicate we still have cases where um, there are stolen laptops and cell phones. So that's uh, why, like in our little newsletter, we, we've talked about that, that don't leave it in your car because now um, people do that. Um, they will break your window and they will uh, steal your laptops. And so uh, we want to ensure that there is no PHI and that they're um, that the laptop is encrypted. And then oh, we also have um, allegations of snooping um, or unauthorized access. <clears throat> so like I, I said, we have to do um, investigation and to talk to um, the different um, and leaders as to, all right, you know, um, this is the um, treatment team and it did this uh, person actually um, uh, was part of the treatment team during this time period and did they have a need to go into the patient's record, things like that. And then we also receive uh, concerns that are for risk uh, management. And so when they come in, we do um, forward it, or I should say, um, risk does have uh, access to our, um, our module. And we will close the, um, each of these cases once um, risk management uh, informs us that they actually mitigated this, um, uh, these um, incidents. And then, um, as far as billing, um, it's very low. We only have one, and it's it was a mix-up. Um, 
with the um, identity of the um, patients and insurance um, billing. So that has um, actually been resolved. And then you see here, there was one case about fraud and it had to do with the theft of a person's um, information. Um, so any questions about this? Nope. No. Okay. So that's it of my report. Well, th thank you very much, Ms. Ren, for a very thorough and uh, well-presented report. Um, I keep checking to see if we have a quorum and we still do not. Uh, we do have a closed session scheduled. So I guess we should go into closed session and then when we come out, see if Splend returns and we can move uh, those action items. Ahmad? I think that's right. Thank you, uh, Trustee Friedman and the board, uh, the, the quality, I'm sorry, the audit and compliance committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider the item on the agenda. Thank you.